Let's take our Bibles to Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Titus 3, 1 and 2. A large part of any pastor's ministry is to remind his people of what they already know. And in Titus chapter 3, 1 and 2, Paul is writing to Titus to remind the believers at Crete regarding obligations that are expected of them as Christian citizens. And so we're entitling our message today, Five Obligations to Remember. Five Obligations to Remember. Now, in Titus chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul says to Titus, Remind them. And the word remind is in the present tense imperative mood, meaning, Titus, keep reminding them. In other words, Paul had previously taught them these things, but they somehow forgot what he taught them, and so it was necessary for Titus to keep reminding them. You say, well, how many times do they have to be told? I don't know. How many times did your parents have to tell you something? How many times did you have to tell your kids something? You ever feel like, man, I've told you this a hundred times, and you still don't do what I've told you to do? Well, guess what? Just because you become an adult doesn't mean it changes. Just because you're a Christian doesn't necessarily mean it changes. Here these Christian believers had forgotten what Paul had told them. So he tells Titus, you need to remind them of their obligation as Christian citizens and keep reminding them. Now part of the reason they needed to be reminded is because of their anti-government sentiment and attitude. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, doing a little study of church history and go back through the church fathers and you discover that uh, Polybius and Plutarch in uh, two of their writings commented that the believers of Crete, or not the believers per se, but the Cretans, the, the people of Crete, that there were, they, they fumed under Roman rule. You know, they, they didn't want Roman rule over them. They opposed Roman rule. They fought Roman rule. And, you know, they just, that there was a very strong anti-government sentiment. Well, obviously, that just because they became believers didn't change their sentiments. There was still a strong distaste for the Roman Empire. There was a distrust of the Roman Empire. Uh, they, they had their theories about the Roman Empire. And so, you know, because of that... Paul says, Titus, you need to keep reminding them of what their obligation to Rome and to their fellow citizens are. Five obligations to remember. You see, Paul's concern was with their witness in a pagan world. And I believe that Titus 3, 1 and 2 is so relevant to us today. Because we live in a culture that is pagan. We live in a culture that is opposed to God. We live in a culture that exalts sin. And the question comes up is, should the church organize political rallies to try to gain power over the opposition? Should we stage protest against what we perceive are the forces of evil in our community and in our government? And there are questions that we can certainly ask and answer. But often we answer them out of emotion. We often answer those questions out of our own feelings without consulting what does the Bible say. And while there is a legitimate place in a democratic government to seek to pass laws that uphold biblical standards of morality, that approach is simply putting a band-aid on a cancer. What our perverted sinful society needs is not more laws of morality. It needs to hear the gospel because it is only the gospel that is going to change the human heart. So the question needs to be asked, and I need to ask it, and you need to ask it, and that is this, how do we gain a hearing for the gospel among people who mock God and His people. That's the question, first and foremost, we need to be asking. How are we going to get a hearing for the gospel? And in Titus 3, 1-2, Paul gives us five obligations on our part 
of how to behave, how we ought to act towards this ungodly world, towards an ungodly government, so that we can get a hearing for the gospel. And the thrust of these two verses is simply this, that you and I, we as Christians, as citizens of our country, need to excel in good works that display God's grace through us. The changed life of the believer, our changed life, my life, your lives, our lives, should be providing the unsaved world a platform of witness that will point the sinner to God's grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we need to be reminded of what our obligations are because it's so easy to get caught up in our flesh. It's so easy to get caught up in the rah, rah, rah. It's so easy to get caught up in, you know, when, we, when people are passing this information around and that information around and disinformation and real information and fakes and facts and all that stuff. It's easy to get caught up in it and, you know, we bristle because, hey, you know, we're Americans and, you know, we've got this right, we've got that right. And, and you know, for, we forget that we're first and foremost citizens of a heavenly kingdom and that this Bible is our guide before any human document. So let's go to our text. Let's see what the text of Scripture has to tell us regarding these five obligations as Christian citizens. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing consideration for all men. First reminder, first obligation rather, that we're to remember is this. We need to remember that Christians must be subject to government rulers and authorities. Remember, Christians must be subject to government rulers and authorities. Again, Titus 3.1 says, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities. Recognizing God's sovereign rule, Christians are to submit willingly to those recognized leaders of society. Now, the Greek term here for rulers and authorities are case and exousias, refers to secular governmental authorities. We are to be subject to secular governmental authority. And the instruction, be subject to the civil government, indicates that these authorities are part of God's overall order for human society. We saw this before in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. And again, I'll read that along with 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17, because we need to see that the consistent teaching of Scripture is that Christians must be subject to government rulers and authorities. Romans 13, verses 1 and 2. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and those who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So, let's pause there. Let's go over, let's review that verse for a moment. Any authority that exists in this world, in the government, is ordained by God. God raises them up, God takes them down, both good and bad. All you do is need to be reminded, God raised up Nebuchadnezzar. Why? To punish his people. God raised up wicked um, Jeroboam. Why? To punish his people. Yes, God raises up wicked rulers, places wicked rulers in positions of authority for his purpose, to accomplish his purpose. He goes on and he says, whoever... Now, did you listen to what the word whoever, that means anybody, Christian or not, who resists authority, 
has opposed the ordinance of God. So if you and I as Christians, if we're resisting the authority that God has placed over us in our lives, we are in opposition to God's command, to what God has ordained. Now, if you're in opposition to what God has commanded or ordained, you're putting yourself in the position of being God's enemy. And therefore, those who have opposed, guess what, receive condemnation upon themselves. So Christian, if you want to oppose the authority that God has placed in your life, then understand you are going to receive from God condemnation upon yourself because of that. Now it may come directly from his hand or it may come indirectly through those governing authorities. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as a bond slave of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Let's take this verse for a moment and break it down. Submit yourselves to every human institution, every form of human government and law, whatever you're under, submit to it. Why? For the Lord's sake. You're not submitting because necessarily you like them. You're not submitting because you agree with them. You're submitting to them, Christian, for the sake of God. Whether it's to the king or to governors, it's the will of God that we submit. Why? So that by doing right, by doing what they've asked us to do, we can silence the ignorance of the foolish people. Folks, people are constantly out there want to rip, finding things to rip the church about. And let me tell you something, they've got some legitimate things to rip the church about. How many times do we hear about uh, all kinds of disgrace being done by leaders in the church? And the world hears these things. And they latch on and, ah, see, those churches, those Christians, you can't trust them, you can't believe them. They're hypocrites. So folks, why do we need to give them another thing to wag their tongues about? We need to do what's right to silence their mouths. Listen, he goes on. Act as free men. You've got freedom? Enjoy your freedom. But don't use your freedom as a covering of evil. You know, I keep hearing, well, it's my right, it's my right, it's my right. Well, sometimes, Christian, you got to realize that first and foremost, you are a bond servant, a bond slave of God. And that means sometimes in being God's bond slave, bond servant, you got to give up your right lest it becomes a covering for evil. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that if the government asks us or tells us to do something, whether we like it or not, we need to submit to it. Now, we're going to get to the, the question that's on your minds. Well, but, but what if they tell me to do something I shouldn't? We're going to deal with that in a minute. But first and foremost, the general policy is do what they tell you to do. Yes, we have the right to worship God. Freedom of religion. And as I said a few weeks ago, freedom of religion doesn't come without restriction. You are not free to commit human sacrifice in the name of religion. That's a limitation. And there are times for the public safety and health that churches, along with everybody else, have to follow the rules. Like we're doing right now. 
when a Christian or a church says, well, you're taking my right away to worship. First of all, that's bogus. Your right to worship hasn't been taken away. You're all still worshiping. You're still listening to this message being preached. You're still taking a moment of prayer. You're still taking moments to praise and honor God. Some of you have even told me how you're, how you're singing and listening to, to hymns and psalms. Guess what? You're still worshiping. And certainly, the ideal is to worship together. But there are times, for the sake of public good, we can't. That's where we're at. Doesn't mean we like it. In fact, we loathe it. But... When churches and Christians rah, rah, rally, rally that, you know, they're not going to tell me what to do and I'm going to open my doors anyway, you are using your freedom as a covering for evil and the evil is simply this, God told you for His sake to submit yourselves to every human institution. That's God's will. We need to keep that in view. We need to keep in view that it is the gospel that our godless culture desperately needs more than anything else. And so in whatever capacity that you and I may be involved in the political process, we need to keep our witness as Christians uppermost in our minds. If we posture ourselves as enemies of the unbelievers that we're trying to reach, we're alienating them from the gospel they need to hear. And I don't understand what pastors don't understand about that. They're so concerned about controlling the people that follow them. Well, I've got to get my crowd back together. I've got, I've, I've, got to, I've got to exert my authority over them, my control over them. You know, and it's these very same pastors that if somebody in their church doesn't do what they tell them to do, oh, they're going to bring them up on charges. Hey, I'm the spiritual authority in your life. Well, buddy, God's placed an authority in your life, and that authority told you, hey, for the period, this period of time, guess what? We need to stay at home. We need to limit indoor gatherings to 10 or less. But they can't do that. And isn't it amazing? They want people to follow their authority, but they can't follow the authority God has put in their life. Chris, that'll tell you something. That'll tell you something. When you find a Christian leader that refuses to follow the authorities placed above them, you'd be asking yourself, wait a minute, what kind of leader are they? Paul says here that our witness requires us to be subject to rulers and authority. Now, this doesn't mean we cannot voice strong disagreements. This does not mean we shouldn't do everything lawful to even remove an official from office through legal channels, lawful means. Christian, you got the right to vote in this country. So, use your authority, use your right, rather, to vote. But nonetheless... We still must show respect to them as individuals. We need to respect the office they hold. We must obey the laws of our society unless those laws would require us to disobey the law of God. So, we need to remember that Christians must be subject to government rulers and authority. Secondly, we must remember that Christians must be obedient. Remember, Christians must be obedient. Titus 3.1 Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. Now, Paul does not specify the object of obedience here, but in the context, he is referring to obedience to the government. In other words, we're not supposed to be lawbreakers. We're not supposed to be out there stoking the fires of rebellion and revolution. Listen, God says rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. Now here's Paul living under the tyranny of godless Nero who hated Christians so much that he set the city of Rome on fire, blamed it on the Christians, had them, had it, it made it illegal to be a Christian and live in the city of Rome. Christians had to flee the city of Rome. 
And, and if Christians were caught, they would be brought in. They could be uh, fed, fed to the lions in the Colosseum. They could be uh, uh, tarred and, and, and set on fire in the Nero's gardens. All kinds of incredulous things. And Paul says, guess what? Be obedient. Listen, there was bribery and corruption at every level of the Roman government. And notice that Paul didn't say, obey governments that are free of corruption. He didn't say, subject yourselves to rulers that are godly. No. This admonition was written at a time when the church had experienced severe persecution at the hands of the state. The only time that we are required to disobey secular government is when the government commands us to do something that would require us to disobey God. Well, isn't that what they've done? No, they, ha they haven't. At this point, there has been no command, no law passed that makes us disobey God. Okay? If the government commanded us to do something which directly violated God's word, then we must resist the government and obey God. You know, from an ethics perspective, we would call this a morally obligatory issue. Okay? I would be obliged morally to obey God. Now, that course of action will result in some form of punishment from man. But in that case, it's better to suffer human punishment than moral censure from God. For example, abortion is legal in the United States. It is immoral, it is murder, and Christians should not participate in abortions. But the law does not require Christians to abort babies. Now, we can legally and morally, biblically, in this country, because of our laws peaceably protest abortion and seek to change laws. But we cannot murder abortion doctors to make our case. And if the government commanded all everyone to abort their babies, then we would be morally obligated to commit civil disobedience and not abort our children. Now the scripture provides examples, three in particular, of divinely sanctioned civil disobedience. When the Egyptian midwives were commanded by Pharaoh to abort Hebrew babies, they refused. Exodus 1, 15-17. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow and worship the idol. Daniel 3, 4-7 and 12. Daniel continued praying to God when the king passed the law forbidding him to pray to God, to pray to Yahweh. Daniel 6, 7-10. In each of those situations, there was no moral censure from God. Instead, he blessed them. Now, in our current situation, we need to be clear that churches are not being singled out. No one particular religious group is being singled out. The laws apply to Christians, Muslims, Jews, Hindus, whatever. If it was a case where one religious group was being singled out, then perhaps we might have a case of civil disobedience. If there was a case where churches were told to wear masks while mosques and synagogues didn't have to wear masks, well, that might be a case of, that would require civil disobedience. If it were a case of where churches were not allowed to gather, but synagogues and temples could, we'd have a case for civil disobedience. That's not the case. That's not what has happened. Okay. Oh, they're attacking Christians. Well, you might as well say they're attacking then Hindus, they're attacking Muslims, they're attacking Jews. You know. And again, folks, listen, I understand we all get passionate, but man, when we get caught up in the emotion and don't think through things rationally and biblically... And we're out there jumping off the cliff and losing our testimony while we're at it. 
You know, we have, yes, we have the right to peaceably protest. But Christian, you should not be applauding some guy taking his weapon and busting into the Capitol building because he disagrees with what the governor's doing. That's not peaceably protesting, by the way. Okay. The right to peaceably protest is not the right to violently riot. One is legal, the other is not. And when a protest becomes violent, when protest takes lives, when protests destroy property, then that protest has gone from being moral to immoral. And regardless of the outcome, the end does not justify the means. Nowhere does Scripture tell us to break good laws to protest bad laws or bad men. Unjustified violence should not be resorted to in cases of civil disobedience. I said unjustified violence. You say, Pastor, there's a case where violence may be necessary? Yes, and it's a very slim case. I'm not going to park too much on it today, but I think the case of Moses is a perfect example in the book of Exodus. You need to read Hebrews and Acts 7, uh, Hebrews uh, 11 and Acts 7 to get the full picture. But it was a case where Moses uh, saw an Egyptian out there and uh, beating a Jewish person. The context in the, in the original languages indicates that, you know, what this man was doing was wrong, okay? Yes, the Jewish people were enslaved to the Egyptian people, uh, but, you know, his reason or whatever he was doing, uh, whatever led him to this action was not right. Moses intervened. Now, did Moses automatically kill the guy? No. Moses intervened. First of all, he got between the man, the Egyptian, and the Hebrew. Well, what are you doing? He tried to defuse the situation. And when the individual, the Egyptian, decided to push the issue and continue to beat this Jew and do whatever else he may have been doing, it escalated and Moses ended up taking this man's life. And nowhere did God ever censure Moses for that. Okay. That's what, again, from an ethics perspective, biblical ethics perspective, what Moses did was a morally uh, a moral superior, uh, superior action or supererogatory action, meaning that he didn't have to get involved, but morally he was motivated to do above and beyond to protect the life of this other person. Okay. Again, that was a case where violence was justified. But typically, unjustified violence should not be resorted to in cases of civil disobedience. So if the government forces us to abort babies, we would have to resist. If the government commanded us to stop condemning homoerotic behavior, we would have to continue to teach what the Bible says. If the government banned the Bible, we'd still have to own and distribute Bibles. But the general principle, and 99% of the time, the principle is... And we need to remember, Christians must be obedient. Christians must be subject to government rulers and authorities. And number three, remember, Christians must be ready for every good deed. Titus 3.1, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. You know, it is not enough for us as believers simply to be law-abiding. We are to be publicly spirited or publicly minded as well. Notice it says to be ready. In other words, we're to be eager, not reluctant to do what is good whenever we have the opportunity. Every good deed refers to any deed done in obedience to Christ out of love for other people. 
You know, that's what people, when the, when the unbelieving world looks at us, they ought to see us as a picture of Christ's love. What this means here is that we are to comply with the rules and obligations of civil authority, and then, here, here comes, be ready for every good work, and then we are to work for the benefit of our fellow citizen and or community. What's that mean? That means whenever the need presents itself, we need to be ready to show our cooperation with the government that protects us, and in doing so, it shows that we're doing good. I'll give you specific examples. Think of a time of war, okay? In a time of war, the government says, hey, this is what we need to do. We need to ration our gas, we need to ration oil, we need to ration our food. Uh, you know, we need, to limit, we need to turn out our lights. You know, think back to, to World War I, World War II, some of the restrictions that were put upon us. Okay? And as Christians, we complied with that. We didn't sit there and say, well, I'm not shutting off my lights in my church because I have an evening service. Okay? You followed the government's recommendation because you know what? If you're out there with your lights on while all your neighbors don't have their lights on, you're not doing every good deed. Rather, you're telling them rules don't apply to us. Or pandemics. That's what we're in, a pandemic. We need to be cooperative so that the community around us sees that, hey, look at them. They're obeying. They're, doing, they're taking the steps necessary to protect the health and welfare of society. That's what we should be doing. In order to be ready for every good deed, though, you need to be thoroughly equipped to do every good deed. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Same word, deed. Maybe the reason that Christians want to do what they want to do and don't care what the rest of the world thinks or don't care what their neighbors think, you know, just going to do what we're going to do, is because they haven't been taught the Word of God. They're not adequately equipped because they haven't been taught the Word of God. They haven't suffered reproof for the Word of God. They haven't been corrected by the Word of God. They haven't been trained in righteousness from the Word of God. You've got to get into this book and let this book dictate your life, Christian. And I'm telling myself this as much as I'm telling you. This book is what's dictating. Or am I letting this book dictate my life? Are you letting this book dictate your life? Or are you getting caught up with all the, 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 what the media is saying and what this person saying and that person saying? You know, I saw something this week. Somebody put out there that uh, Governor Murphy said that when the Great Adventure opens, uh, people have to keep their mouth shut on the roller coaster. And man, this thing went, you should have seen Christians on, on, on social media just sent this thing out. Now, everything that I've been able to find so far, he never said it. Okay? Never said it. Then I saw a similar thing going around by another group of Christians claiming that Walt Disney, this was Walt Disney's policy. So I, I looked at that, that's not Walt Disney's policy either. I finally came across the original article, and it was somebody in Japan who believed that if amusement parks were going to open in Japan, then people shouldn't be allowed to have their mouths open screaming on a roller coaster because it could spread germs around. And do you see how nonsense gets spread around? People are not rational. You know why they're not rational? Because they're not biblical. They don't know how to think biblically. Man, they just hear something and right away, man, they run with it and never fact check it. 
That's because they're not fact-checking their life with the Word of God. You know, we need to be ready to do every good deed. And if every good deed says, hey, listen, you know, we need to protect the populace. Well, pastor, you don't understand, you know. 99% of people recover. Okay, praise God that, quote-unquote, 99% of people recover. That's wonderful. I, I hope and pray that's the case, okay? But studies have also shown that the majority of people that get this are in the 65 and older crowd. So are we supposed to be so arrogant? Now, I know I'm limiting myself to who I'm speaking to, but those of us under the age of 65, are we so arrogant that we should thumb our nose and say, well, I got a better chance of recovery, so I should still be able to do what I want to do, and you know what? Too bad on them. Huh? The Bible says in Deuteronomy to the believer, and this is a very important verse in my life for a lot of reasons, choose life in order that you might live. That's what we're to do as Christians. We're supposed to be promoting life. And it galls me, you know, you have people out there that are pro-abortion, my body, my choice. And I've now seen Christians adopting that same policy, my body, my choice, over whether or not to wear a mask. Shame on you, Christian. Shame on you. First of all, that you'd adopt the very philosophy that you oppose. But secondly, that you're so arrogant and so self-centered that you think you're the only one that matters. You're not the only one that matters. And as Christians, being ready to be ready to do every good deed means sometimes we've got to lay aside what we think is our right and do what we can do to protect the health of other people. But we're too self-centered for that. We're supposed to prove, by doing good, we're supposed to be proving that Christianity is a constructive force in society. And when we show that we're a constructive force, it gives us opportunities to spread the gospel. And let me add something else here. Doing good encompasses anything that benefits others, and that includes praying for those in leadership and seeking the welfare and peace of the nation. 1 Timothy 2, 1-2. to First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Sometimes, Christians, you create your own problem. Your life's not tranquil, it's not quiet, because you didn't go around and pray. Oh, I know. Prayer, 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 that's the ugly stepsister of church services, the prayer meeting. Okay? Ugly stepsister. Notice he says, of utmost importance, first of all, I urge you, entreaty, prayer, petition, thanksgiving. Four different words to describe praying. Be made on behalf of all people for kings and all who are in authority. Okay? So we need to be entreating the Lord for those in authority, for kings, for presidents, for governors, senators, congressmen, dictators, whatever. We're supposed to be entreating the Lord on their behalf. Lord, give them wisdom. Lord, keep them from foolishness. Lord, shut their mouths. Keep them from themselves. Prayer, petitions, and thanksgiving. You know, I hear Christians that'll say how they've been lied to by the government. You know, they were supposed to be all these millions of people die in our country and, and uh, only 100,000 people have died. Only 100,000. Are you sick? Is there something wrong in your head that you think, well, only 100,000 people died? One death's too many. Oh, we bellyache and cry, and, and don't get mistaken me, we should. We should be yelling about how many millions of, of unborn children have been murdered. But if we can take the steps to limit the amount of people dying, don't look at it as a conspiracy theory. It shows, hey, things are working. Has it been uncomfortable? Yes. Have we had to give up some things? Yes. But think about this. In 80 days, 100,000 people died from this disease. If we hadn't taken the steps we've taken, how many more would have died? That's just in America, in the United States of America. Christian, we, we, we've got to 
We've got to think rationally and biblically. When God sent Judah into exile into Babylon, he said, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will have welfare. Is that what we're doing? Is that what you're doing? Are you seeking the welfare? Well, I don't agree with them. Well, that's fine. You don't have to agree with them. But if this is what they said you do, you do it. We need to take a lead as Christian people to do good. And that's not mere passive, passive posture, but active, positive involvement. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13 and 16. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. They may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Like, I, like, like salt, we are to be a preservative against the evils of culture. And like light, we're supposed to be shining the truth to those who live in the darkness of paganism. And if we would start behaving like salt and light, they would see our what? Good deeds. Well, we're going to open up and we're going to have all of our people here and we're not going to do what they want us to do because I disagree with it. Then you are not doing what is good. They are, the world is not going to look at you and want to hear your witness about the gospel. They're going to look at you and say, yo, buddy, what are you doing? I don't want to hear what you have to say. can't tell you how many reports I've gotten over the last couple of weeks of, of churches where, you know, as things are beginning to reopen, and understand, and believe me, I understand, things have to reopen. I certainly understand that, okay? You know, but church in Georgia, you know, told, hey, you can reopen, but follow these procedures. They didn't follow the procedures. The 58 people in that church, 33 of them in, in, in the first two weeks, come down with the COVID-19 coronavirus. And the church is now shut. Church in Germany, they're starting to lift the lockdowns. Rather than follow the, what they were supposed to do, guess what? Well, we're going to open up anyway. In two weeks, 100 people in that church diagnosed with the coronavirus. Well, they'll recover. 99% will recover. Oh, okay. So 1% of that congregation, you don't, you don't really care for it. You don't, you don't you say, oh, well, they're expendable. Is anybody expendable? I don't think so. Listen, if you want to be expendable, fine. I'm, I, I, you know, listen, I'm not going to take the responsibility of somebody's life being expendable because the Bible tells me I've got to choose life. The Bible also tells me I've got to be an example to a lost and dying world so they'll hear the gospel. As salt, I need to speak out against social issues that are related to morality. Yes, we need to speak out against abortion, against euthanasia, against homoerotic behaviors. Yes, we need to be light. We need to maintain a prophetic role in society. We need to speak for God. We need to call a nation back to God. But we need to make sure that while we're doing that and how we're doing that is in a manner that isn't going to make us look foolish. That isn't going to bring Anger against us. Listen, you're already you're going to get anger because of taking a stand against immorality, and that's okay. But we shouldn't get an ang- we shouldn't be drawing anger and ire from the world because we're thumbing our nose at something that is done for the good of the order. Number four, Christians must not malign anyone. We must not malign anyone. Verse two. Be, remind them to be subject, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to malign no one. The Greek term for malign, interestingly, is do not blaspheme anyone. What's blasphemy? It's a express, verbal expression of evil or malicious thoughts directed towards a person, to hold a person in contempt. Now, that means, here's what qualifies as blasphemy. When you slander someone, insult someone, use abusive speech against someone, make a defamatory remark about someone, or spread a false rumor about someone, guess what? You're blaspheming. And we're told to malign no one. Now, I understand it is easy to get frustrated with government officials. It's easy to react by blaspheming them. But we need to be careful not to speak evil of them. They're still created in God's image. They're still an object of His saving grace. Now, Pastor, you're saying there, you're wondering, well, wait a minute. When they do evil to me, doesn't give me that right to speak evil of them? No. 
You want to hear what the Bible says? Sure you do. Let me read it. Exodus twenty two twenty eight. You shall not curse God, nor curse a ruler of your people. That word curse is the word for blasphemy. Don't blaspheme God. Don't blaspheme the ruler of your people. Don't slander them. Don't insult them. Don't use abusive speech about them. Don't make defamatory remarks about them. Don't spread rumors about them. You say, well, that's just the Old Testament. That don't apply to me no more. Well, buddy, I got news for you. It does. Acts 23, verse 5, Paul said, It is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. You say, well, then how am I supposed to act? Here's how you ought to act. 1 Peter 2, 23. While being reviled, Christ did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but rather entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. Now, it's not saying that we have to be naive. It's not saying we can't correctly evaluate and speak about the evil that we see in someone. But we need to restrain our natural inclination to speak in a way that doesn't glorify God. Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not blaspheme them. Do not pay back evil for evil. Respect what is right or good in the sight of all men. You need to consider what do other people see? What are other people thinking? I know that's foreign to some believers. Now, we should speak out against immorality, yes. Should we speak out against immoral behaviors and officials? Yes. But let me give you three cautions that I gave you before. You do it without hating the individual. You do it without being mean-spirited. And you do it without employing worldly tactics. We have to speak out, but do it in a God-fearing, law-abiding manner. Finally, number five, we need to remember Christians must be peaceable. Remind them to be peaceable, gentle, showing consideration for all men. The word peaceable is a macho. It's the opposite of being a macho man. As Christians, we don't need to prove that they're not going to shove us around. That's what I hear a lot of. They're not telling me what to do. Yo, buddy. Be peaceable. Don't be macho. Okay? In other words, don't be offended easily. If you're wronged, seek to resolve the issue. And in the propagation of the gospel, it is more important to maintain good relations within the community than to stand up for what you and I perceive as our right. When someone tried to pick a fight with Dr. Ironside over a matter minor of importance that he had preached on, he replied, well, dear brother, when we get to heaven, one of us is going to be wrong, perhaps it'll be me, and he walked away. He, he wasn't going to pick a fight. He wasn't there to have a fight. He was, he was trying to be peaceable. And a peaceable person is someone who's gentle. The word gentle here means self-control. Being willing to defer to others, although you might have to relinquish your own right. That's what the word gentle means. Deferring to others, even though it, you have, may have to relinquish your own right. There are certain situations where standing on our rights would cause such damage to an unbeliever that they'd never want to hear about our Savior. 1 Timothy 2, 22-26. The Lord's bondservant. Who's that? All of us. The Lord's bondservant isn't to be quarrelsome but to be kind to all, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those in opposition, that God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And you know what? Not only are we to be gentle, but we are to show consideration for all. That word consideration is meekness, literally true humility. You know, it's a horse broken uh, and submissive to its master. In other words, in all of our dealings with outsiders... We need to be under the control of the Holy Spirit, responding graciously and kindly. Showing some meekness to some people may not be difficult. Showing all meekness to some people or some meekness to all people isn't difficult. But to show all meekness to all people, even those who are liars, evil brutes, and lazy belly, oh, that's impossible. You're right, it is, but it can be fulfilled because of the Holy Spirit and God's grace in our life. My friends, as we consider the words here of Titus chapter 3, you need to ask yourself, are you submitting obediently? We are not anarchists or rebels. We are not here to subvert or disobey the government unless it brings us into direct conflict with the commands of God. Are we, are you, serving eagerly? Are you ready for every good work? Are you looking to help, aid others, assist others? 
take any and every opportunity to be a good testimony in a lost and dying world. Are we speaking gently? Are you speaking gently? Or rather, are you quick to slander people? Or are you trying to avoid fighting with people? Again, the scope is comprehensive here. We malign, we blaspheme, we curse with our words, we stir up strife. But when we're peaceable and gentle, we have an opportunity to spread the gospel. Remember the words of Scripture, as far as it is possible, live at peace with everyone. We need to show humility. Are you showing humility? Are you meek? Are you kind? Are you considerate of others? Can you lay down your right for the good of someone else? Can you consciously place someone else ahead of yourself? In your attitude and action, are you esteeming others better than yourself? Friends, we need to be responsible Christian citizens. Therefore, we need to be active in our efforts that will benefit the community in general. When the outsider, when the unbeliever sees a genuine, caring involvement on the part of the church, it is going to create a platform from which we can rightly speak in judgment, if and when necessary, and with the gospel to those who need to hear it. Be warned, constant criticism without participation in those areas that need to be improved is simply going to isolate us, and it's going to create a poor atmosphere for communicating the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we come to you, and I I pray that you would help us, Father. In our flesh, we are rebels. In our flesh, we don't want to anyone telling us what to do. We're going to do it our way. But Father, you've redeemed us. You've regenerated us. And therefore, we need to be different. And so you've given us these reminders. Father, we live in a day, even amongst the church of God, where there is an anti-government spirit. Oh, Father, purge us of that spirit. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and in doing so, give us a desire to reach the lost with the gospel. And in doing so, Lord, may we understand that it's not only what comes out of our mouth, it's our example, it's our testimony, it's how we operate in society that is going to give us the opportunities to present the gospel. So, Lord, as we continue to manage this pandemic, as we continue to certainly look forward to that day, when we can gather together, Lord, let us do it in a fashion that is honoring to you, but is also honoring to the government. And Lord, in doing so, may our community, may the unbelievers around us see that, see our good deed, and be drawn to the gospel. Changes, Father, help us, I pray. These things in your son's name. Amen.